Lord, we, uh, we praise you because uh, you're good and that you've rescued us as we've heard throughout this morning, that you're the one that we need to sing a new song to because of what you've done. And Lord, we pray that right now that you would continue to do this beautiful work of redemption, that Lord, you would rescue us from the slimy pit of complacency, of our weariness, Father, of our troubles that would keep us from hearing the truth of your gospel today. That, Lord, you would give us ears like we've never had before. That maybe this morning, Father, uh, you would speak so powerfully by the power of your Holy Spirit that we uh, would have to fight to turn it away. So, Lord, I pray for my friends here that you'd awaken them. Awaken me, Lord, uh, to the reality of your word and, Father, to the shocking reality of your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, hello everybody. Good morning. Uh, I need a reader this morning, so uh, if somebody feels up for uh, being known by everybody in the community, would like to read for us. Anybody want to read? Come on. There's got to be. Come on up. Yes. It. You don't need your Bible. You know what? Um, I'm going to be, you can go to the microphone right over there. Introduce yourself. Hello, my name's Meg. Hey, hang on, Meg. We're going to give you power. Okay, now we got Hello. your power. Hi, I'm Meg. Do you all know Meg? Okay, if you don't know Meg, you know Meg now. Uh, so hang on, Meg. Before you read, what we've been doing for the last few weeks if we, is we've actually asked ourselves this question. Is change possible? Like real change. You know, uh, all of us want some kind of change. All of us have in our minds some kind of idea that if this thing would change in my life, then something radical would happen. Whether it's to, uh, I don't know, whether it's to get smarter or to get richer or to get a better job or to lose the job that you have or to get into a relationship or maybe to get out of a relationship, maybe to lose weight, gain weight, I don't know, color your hair. We all have some kind of idea that if I could get over there, then it would be better than here. And so a lot of times we attempt to try to create this change, and we fail because we seem to get in the way. We call this the promised land, the, P, the PL, which gives us everything that we hope it would give us. How do we get over to that place? So we ask the question, is the Bible about change? Is the gospel about change? And if it is, how can we experience that? So we're in 2 Peter. Meg, are you ready? Ready. 2 Peter chapter 1. You can begin reading. All right. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Stop reading. All right, Meg, hang on. Just Because what we talked about several weeks ago is you got to be kidding me. Did you all just hear what Meg read? Meg, did you make this up? I did not. This, this is from the Bible. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, guys, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to get you to see that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his resurrection, Jesus isn't just the author of change. He is the sustainer of change, and he is the finisher of change. It has already happened. It's like having a Picasso that a kid has colored over to where you can't see the Picasso. Where's the Picasso? It's still there. It's just covered by a bunch of junk. It's happened. If you're in Christ, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. So the big question a few weeks ago was, 
Why don't we live in that? Why is that not a reality? How do I live in that reality? Meg, please, before you read, explain that to us. No, I'm kidding. I'm done. All right. <laughs> okay. You can keep reading. All righty. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Pause. What we said was, oh, wait. The way I see that I have everything for life and godliness is I participate with the divine nature. Participate with the divine. How do I do that? Keep reading, Meg. All right. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Keep going. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Meg, you did a wonderful job. Didn't you? Did... <laughs> Y'all are just saying, thank God Meg raised her hand. That wasn't me. How do I participate with the divine? We talked several weeks ago about we do that by faith. And faith is not heaven money. It's not something I manifest and I give to Jesus and in exchange for me giving him my faith, he gives me salvation and everything I need for life and godliness. Faith is something that God gives me. We talked about that several weeks ago. It's a holy gift from the Lord so that I have the capacity to receive his grace. If that's true, then my participation with that now is I add to my faith goodness, and I add to goodness knowledge, and I add to, good, to knowledge self-control. And this week we're talking about, and to that self-control I add perseverance. So let's just take a few minutes and let's talk about what is it about perseverance that when I add that to faith, it allows me to participate with the divine and see that he's given me everything I need for life and godliness. Well, let me state the obvious. You know, perseverance or endurance or long-suffering, however you want to use it, your Bible may have different translations for that one word. They all kind of mean the same thing. Is the kind of stuff that we need when stuff gets tough. It's like the marathon runner who has a rock in their shoe and they're hurting and, or they have a cramp. I mean, they need endurance to finish the race or long-suffering in situations that are really difficult because the truth of it is is that none of us need endurance for stuff that's really comfy. You know, like none of us need endurance to endure a five-star hotel or you never text your buddies when you're at Morton Steakhouse and saying they just brought the filet. Please pray that I have the endurance to eat the entire steak. And please pray that if I have strength that I may be able to stay in my seat through dessert. I mean, we don't do that kind of stuff because endurance is about when it gets hard, you know, we struggle. And we need strength for what? What has it got to do with this right here? <laughs> well, let me encourage you with something that may not encourage you, but hopefully at the end it will, is this, is that you're going to need endurance if you're going to follow Christ. If you're going to live in this paradigm, in this reality, if you're going to live out of what we sang before we opened up Scripture, you're going to need endurance because Jesus promises something to you that I hope is a little unnerving to you. That when the closer I get to Jesus... 
he's not necessarily going to make your life easier. Matter of fact, when we follow Christ, he has a great way of kind of coming into the temple of our heart and kicking over tables. He has a great way of kind of lifting up the carpet and going, what's all this dirt underneath here? And he has a great way of getting us into situations where we're in way over our head. Right? I know there's some seasoned Christ followers here. You know, there's a number of passages. Psalm 34, 19 talks about the troubles of a righteous man. They're coming. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 talks about that when you begin to experience trials and troubles, don't freak out as if something unusual is happening to you. That's coming from that thinking that when Jesus, when I meet Jesus and I have everything, what he's going to do is he's going to make my life perfect. He's going to make my relationships perfect. And he's going to give me lots of money. And I'm going to live in a big house. And I'm going to have a jet plane. And I'm going to have all kinds of cool cars. Because that's everything, right? Wrong. That's not what he's talking about. So when the hardships come, don't think something strange has happened to you. And then in Philippians chapter 1, Verse 29 through 30, it also talks about something that is this, well, shall we read it? He is granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, that God has granted us belief, but but also to suffer for him. That God gives us times where we suffer for Christ. Why is that? Well, let me just state this as simply as I can, because I don't want to use so many words today that y'all miss the power of what I think this passage has for us as a church. It's this. Anytime you choose to live in love, guess what's going to happen to you? Pain. I'm just telling you straight up. Anytime you're in a relationship, there's going to be pain involved. There's going to be suffering involved. Anytime I'm in a, I choose to be in a relationship with me, when I look in the mirror and I say, I'm going to deal with you in the mirror, guess what's going to be involved? We can all say it together. Pain. So I find another person that I think is going to be a pain-free relationship, and I say, will you please be my wife and take all my pain away? Guess what? I'm going to get pain, right? And then I choose to follow God, who... What does God call himself in 1 John? He has one word. God is love. So if God is love, and this God of love is the one that has rescued me from this unchanged place, and he's brought me into this changed place where he's given me everything for life and godliness, and he's saying to me, hey, participate with me. Take my hand. Come on, let's go run through the fields together. You know? That God is saying, and he goes, oh, by the way, I'm love. Oh, that's awesome, your love. Well, guess what? You may not know this, but when you love, you suffer. Oh, what kind of weird God are you? But it's a reality, isn't it? Anytime I love, there's going to be pain involved. I love what Bob Marley said. He said a lot of things. He rolled a lot of things. I know you're shocked that I'm quoting him. But he said, and this is so applicable to what what we're talking about, I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. Wait a minute, that's the wrong quote. All right. (laughs) What is he talking about? 
It's this mystical, cryptic uh, code for love suffers, all right? Sheriff is the Lord. The deputy is the Holy Spirit. No, I'm kidding. Bob Marley said, the truth is, everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. Do you believe that? I want you to ask yourself that question right now. Do you believe that? We have one person who believes that. The rest of you are comatose because, anyway. See, it's the nature of love. It's the nature of love to make myself so vulnerable to God, so vulnerable to myself, so vulnerable to other people that I can truly love you. But when I make myself that vulnerable, there's going to be hurt involved. C.S. Lewis actually said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. And love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. So you should wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, and you should avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. Actually, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. If you want to stay safe, if you want to avoid the sufferings of love, you should not get involved in anybody in this room. You shouldn't be involved in this church. You shouldn't be involved in the people around you because let me tell you about the people around you. They are going to hurt you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. They're going to sin. And that sin is going to hurt you if you truly care about them. It's going to happen. And I'm telling you something that's difficult to embrace, but this God who calls himself love, who's calling me to follow him, says, jump in. It's a part of everything he's given me for life and godliness. So let me, let me talk about that. I kind of rearranged my notes, but hopefully stay with me on this, all right? I've got three aces and two clubs. Now, what is suffering? Like, when we talk about this kind of stuff in church, we're like, you know, if you went home today and your neighbors were all burning down your house and you pulled in the driveway and they're chanting, you know, you Jesus followers, get out of our neighborhood. What would you do? You know, you turn to the person, maybe your husband or your wife or a friend or your neighbor, and you look and you go, this is suffering for Jesus. Praise the Lord. You know? Or, you know, you go to Starbucks this afternoon and they go, dude, is that a cross you're wearing? And the guy in line turns around and just punches you right in the face and says, how dare you follow Jesus? You know? We would say, wow, that's, that's, that's level 10 suffering for Jesus. Endure. Run the good race. Do not give up, you know. I, you know, I could give you a lot of examples of people all over the world that are suffering for the Lord and really make you feel guilty right now that, you know, maybe your house isn't being burned down or you're not, you know, in Saudi Arabia or something, you know. And, you know, I don't, you know but I'm not going to do that because the reality of it is, and this is what I want you to grasp, when, when I go to Starbucks at 7 o'clock in the morning and I got to be in a meeting at 7.30, and I want to be back in my bed. Y'all ever experienced this? And I, I'm going to Starbucks, and the only thing that's getting me to this meeting is the thought that I'm actually going to treat myself to a Starbucks and that little blueberry muffin thing that they sell. 
that's just like I inhale it through my nostrils, you know, because it's just so creamy good. And, you know, and I convince myself calories don't matter before eight. Calories don't matter before eight, you know, and it's like 2,000 calories. And I get in the car and it just fills the car with Starbucks, you know, and you're just like, yes, this must be the aroma of heaven. You know, Jesus, this must be what praise smells like to you, you know. And you back up and you watch in slow motion and you're going, as your cup just tips over and just spills all over your front seat. Is that suffering? Is it suffering? Is it suffering when your kids won't sleep and you only get three hours of sleep one night? Is it suffering? Is it suffering when you and your spouse can't get along? Is it suffering when things don't work out the way I want them to, or I don't like my job, or I don't have a job? Is that suffering? Last week, I was down at Creef Hall and listening to Dave preach on self-control. And it was funny because he was talking about, uh, he was in his driveway, and he had borrowed this friend's gas-powered blower. Have you ever seen these? They're just glorious, you know. They, you know, and it just blows air. And he said he had all these projects to blow this stuff out of his yard and off his driveway. And he said it started to sputter. And finally, it just died on him. And he said, emotionally, he was just, he's just like, Whoa. I had so much anticipation of what I was going to accomplish that he literally said, God, what have you done to me? His leaf rower quit working, and he's questioning the very existence of God. And I laugh because I'm like, yeah, I'm the same way. See, here's the reality of it is, is that when God calls me to endure because of love, he's not talking about the kind of suffering where I get punched in the face because I have a cross around my neck, because that may never happen to you. He's talking about every bit of suffering and pain that you have in your life. List it. Every bit of it, from what your mom said to you 30 years ago, to how you think about yourself when you look in the mirror, to that haircut that you don't like. Every bit of it. So kind of put that on a shelf. We're going to come back to it, all right? So let's talk about what endurance is. Because I want to talk about how do I endure in that kind of pain. If every pain is coming from a place of love, even the mirror relationship, it's coming from a place of love. I'm being called into love. What does it mean to endure? I know that when I was in college, I was in this college Bible study, and, uh, and I was kind of learning this whole Christian world. It was all new to me. You know, I really didn't uh, know what this was. I'd never been to a Bible study before. And, and you know, they would have these people come on, and they were, they were like cheerleader Bible leaders, you know. They would come in and, like, you know, uh, just start giving us cheers to make us stronger. Have you ever experienced this? You know, and they'd have these slogans that they would give us like, you know, keep on keeping on. Y'all ever heard that? Or is that completely 80s? How about this one? Have you ever heard this one? You know, never give an inch, but always be willing to go the extra mile. No? Yeah. Just these incredible, never give up, you know, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And they kept convincing us we could do it, we could do it, we could do it, to the point to where, like, we would make these outrageous 
commitments in Bible studies. Like, I remember we broke up one night. The guys went in one place, and the girls went in the other place. And so uh, when all the guys were together, our leader talked about lust. I'm like, oh, okay. Had everybody's attention at that point, you know? And gave this talk about, you know, you can be strong on this campus and all this stuff. And, and so we all made vows. We will never lust again. We swear it right now. Today, we will never give up. Keep on, keep it on. We will make commitments with our eyes. We will put blinders on. What was Ezekiel? You know, I made a, co- a covenant with my eyes that I would never look upon a woman in lust. And so we're like, yes, high five, you know, locker room. <laughs> chanting. And that lasted until the group came back together. <clears throat> wow, you look great. Mm, I failed. Is that endurance? Well, let me say it clearly. Whatever you may think endurance is based on you can do it, you can't. And so if endurance is not based on what I can do, then what is endurance all about? Okay, we're in the second half of the sermon. I'm about to wrap it up because I want to show you a video today. I know it's like science class, isn't it? The projector's out. You know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. You don't even know what they're going to show, you know. Like, I don't care. It's just anything but her standing up there. <laughs> Endurance. If you have a pencil, you should write this down. It is the ability to daily, hourly, moment by moment, pinch yourself. You're like, well, I'm not writing that down. I encourage you to write that down because we're pinching ourselves to ask ourselves, is it real? And here's, here's what we're asking ourselves, is it real? It is so hard for me to believe that there is a relationship in my life that's not conditional upon my performance. Every relationship I have in my life is affected positively or negatively by how I perform. What I do, what I say, what I don't do, what I don't say... It seems that I'm the X factor in every relationship that I have, even my relationship with myself. I judge myself on what I do and what I don't do, how I fail or how I don't fail. Every relationship in my life, and I come to the relationship with God, and God says the X factor is gone. Matter of fact, he says that when Christ went to the cross, he ran the race, and guess what he did with his race? He finished it, and he won. So much so that when he looks at me, he goes, Randy, no need to run the race. I've already run the race. Matter of fact, I don't care how good you run, how poorly you run. I don't care if you have no legs at all. I've already run the race and I've finished it. Jesus had the endurance that I don't have. Jesus had the tenacity that I don't have. Jesus had the perfection that I don't have. Matter of fact, and this is what you pinch yourself with. Here's what happens. When I come before God, man, I am covered in my yuck. And let me tell you, if you don't believe you're covered in your yuck, you're doing a real good job of avoiding the relationship with you. But if you're honest with yourself, what you think, what you say, what you do, yuck. I mean, there are a lot of ways that I'm not like the holiness of God. Right? Well, here's what happened when Jesus finished the race, and this is just crazy. Jesus came to me and he goes, hey, Randy, i got a trade for you. I'm like, well, what's this trade deal? Like, what do you want me to do? I want you to give me your yuck. You want my yuck? 
Yeah, I want all your yuck. Well, what's the trade? What I'm going to give you is my righteousness, my rightness, my perfection. So that when you stand before the Father, when you come in to participate with the divine, you're not coming in as somebody that's covered in yuck. You're coming in with the royal robes of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he says when you come to participate with the divine, you're coming in with the title son because that's my title. And I'm going to give my title to you so that when the Father deals with you, he's going to deal with you exactly the way that he deals with me. Not based on anything you did. Matter of fact, in spite of all the yuck you've done. So my robe isn't covering up your yuck. My robe is taking away your yuck and then giving you robes of righteousness. It's finished. See, it's not our love or our strength that endures forever. It's his love that endures forever. It's his love that has perseverance. It's his love that not only can run the race, but did run the race and said, it is finished. Look at Psalm uh, 13. Do we have that up there? Look at this. This is David who, whose eyes began to awaken to that, what I just said. Okay? And he went a little nuts. Just prepare you. All right? He's a little redundant. But he starts giving thanks to God for everything, you know. And after everything, he says, oh, your love endures forever. How long does his love endure? Ever. That's pretty good perseverance, if you ask me. That's pretty good endurance forever. That he keeps going on. Okay, it keeps going. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures. We get it, David. Then he keeps going again. And killed mighty kings, you know, and set up all those new kingdoms. He remembers us in our lowest state. His love endured. I mean, on and on and on. What do you think the message is that David wanted us to get from that? His love endures forever. See, here's the reality of what endurance is. Endurance is letting God love me. And I'm telling you, that's going to be the most difficult journey of your entire life. I mean, we hear it all the time. I mean, that's church talk. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Come on. When the prodigal son came home from spending all his dad's money, sleeping with prostitutes, living a wild life, doing all the stuff that his father said, that's not what I would have for you, son. When he came home covered in yuck, the father saw him at a distance and began to run. And what was his son's exchange? All the son did was let his father hug him. Let his father put the robe on him. Let his father put the ring on his finger. Let the father throw the banquet for him. Let him sacrifice or to slaughter the calf. You know, let him throw a party and then stay at the table and feast on the goodness of his father. Everything we need for life and godliness. You see, what endurance is, is letting God love me to that degree that you've given me everything I need for life and godliness. I'm not getting up from the table. I'm going to feast on this place. So what happens when your marriage gets hard? God loves me. Man, he's not abandoned me. He's the strength of my life. I know his love endures forever. What do you do when you can't find a job? Man, God loves me. What do you do when you're single? God loves me. What do you do when you're struggling with addictions? God loves me. His love endures forever. We stay in that place. How do we stay there? 
Well, <clears throat> I was thinking about it this week. I, I'm not going to tell that story. I want to tell you quick, three quick things. It was funny, though. It was like the funniest thing you would have ever heard in your life. <laughs> but you're not getting it. Next page. I want you to do three things. Let me speak to our community just for a minute, okay? Uh, you notice around you there are a lot of empty seats in here today. <laughs> it's fall break for a lot of the students. But it's also because we have ceremonially done two things here at Midtown. One, we said goodbye to almost 100 people from this congregation to go and plant a congregation for Grief Hall because we're a multi-congregational vision. We have a congregation in 12 South, we have one downtown, and we're planning one in Creve Hall. That hurts. And we went to two services because our leadership loves the Lord and we're listening to the Lord, but they love you. And they're like, you know what? We think a more intimate setting is more powerful for teaching the word than having people sit all the way back to the rail. So we went to two services. <laughs> it hurts. It's, it's hard. There's suffering involved right now in this room. Why? Because a lot of you have said goodbye to friends. They've not left our, our church. We're all still one church, but you don't get to see them on Sunday morning. You know what? They took, when they went to Creep Hall, guess how many of their, our kids they took? Half of them. Bye. <laughs> you know, for some of you are like, thank God, you know, now there's room in the nursery. No, but I mean, it's hard because you've lost friends that have gone to the other congregation that you enjoyed seeing there. And now that there are two services, some of you show up and you feel like, I, who's going to be there? And then I feel like the whole church has changed. It feels like everything is switching. Like I show up in the back coffee bar and I look around. I don't know if I know anybody. And it feels odd and strange. And maybe you're new here and you're feeling that too. That's suffering. And we're groaning because God has called us on a mission. And remember what we said earlier. When the God of love says, take my hand, we're going to go and love a city. And says, you know, we're going to run through the fields together. And he goes, guess what? This is going to hurt. Really? Yeah, because I'm going to ask you to love a broken world. And guess what broken people do? They break people. Hurt people hurt people. Broken people break people. And if you're going to love people that are broken, guess what? Get your heart ready to hurt. And that's what we're trying to do. But it's important now that we understand how to, how to stay in God's love. I got three ways that I want you to uh, try it. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to groan. I mean it. Like, I want you to, this hurts. Whether it's here at Midtown or whether it's something in your own personal life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're trying to love someone. I don't know where you need to groan. You need to groan. Why? Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, We know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the whole world is groaning as if they're in child labor. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Meaning, your time on this earth, if you're going to love, if you're going to camp out with God, and you're going to love like Jesus, you're going to hurt, and you better learn how to groan. 
What I mean by that is complaining is not groaning. Okay? Complaining actually is the pornography of groan. You know, I often talk about when guys struggle with pornography. They're not, they're not struggling with pornography. They're struggling with intimacy. They've lost sight of what real intimacy is. So they're settling for something that's artificial, something that's not real. And complaining is a not real groan. Because when I complain, I'm not walking through my heart. I'm walking around my heart. And what do I do when I walk around my heart and I complain? I say when I complain, my pain is your fault. Or whatever I'm complaining about. I didn't like that music in church this morning. (laughs) Instead of saying I'm hurting because I didn't, I don't know if I got from Jesus what I needed this morning. It's easier to blame somebody else. Because if it's your fault or if it's a situation's fault, I got fired by that boss. He's such a wicked man, you know. Here's what I'm saying when I complain and I grumble is this. I have no power to deal with my heart. The only way my heart is ever going to find peace is if this situation or this person changes. Guess what? That situation may never change and that person may never change. But when I groan, I walk through the middle of my heart and I deal with me. I deal with my pain. I am hurting, Lord. And I am groaning, Lord. I'm groaning to you. I'm going to tell you, you know, the generation, our generation, and I'm meaning everybody in this room, we have so many complicated defense mechanisms to ever keep us from groaning like how many times have you been hanging out with the guys and you say hey man how's it going you know locker room talk and man i just really sad today you know just hurting thanks for asking you know guys don't do that because hey man if you are hurt you fix it I want to read from you uh, a book I read from a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to keep reading from this book until we read the entire book together. (laughs) Or until you groan (laughs) and say no more. This is from Chip Dodd's book, The Voice of the Heart, A Call to Full Living. He's talking about the uh, eight different emotions in our lives. Uh, If you're not used to living out of your heart, do not get this book. Um, because this will wreck the world that you have created, that you really have no emotions. This will turn it over, and you will meet Jesus in new ways. But he talks about how pride, a wall of pride around the heart, blocks emotions like anger, because pride says this. This is one of the ways I keep myself from walking through the middle of my heart. Here's what pride says. It didn't bother me. (laughs) No big deal. Or, I'm tougher than that. Have you ever been in an argument and said, uh, you don't get me? Or have you ever said to yourself or to other people, I don't need anyone? How about this? I can handle it. I can take whatever you dish out. See, pride blocks our need to admit the failure of self-sufficiency because pride cannot admit fault. Pride does not allow us to seek forgiveness. I didn't do anything or forgive others. See, until we feel 
our own pain by recognizing that life gets to our heart, we can't meet others in their pain. If we cannot empathize, we can never be closer to another or have involvement in a cause greater than ourselves, even if that cause is intimate relationship. You see, when I walk in pride, when I refuse to groan, when I refuse to admit life is hard, and life is hard and sometimes it hurts, then I stop myself from ever entering into my heart. And guess what the Lord is doing in me? This everything, He's changing my heart. Scripture even says that when I worship the Lord, if I don't worship Him from that place of my heart, and all I do is go through lip service, you know, (laughs) He says, you shouldn't do it at all. That's vain worship. Well, what if all I got in my heart is groaning? God says, that's the good stuff. Come on, let's deal with that. So I want you to groan. I want you to groan. I want you to be honest about the pain that you're in about your situation. The second step that we do when uh, we persevere in God's love for me is I groan to my Father who loves me because I want to see all that I have in life and godliness, and I also look. Real quick, Romans 8, 18. It says, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What does glory come from? Glory goes to the winner of the race, right? And Jesus has saying, hey, hang on. Hang on to how much I love you because I'm going to give my glory to you. So I'm looking, I'm using my suffering. Matter of fact, have you ever jumped on a, on a diving board? Uh, that doesn't have any spring to it. I grew up in Louisiana, and uh, we used to sneak out in the middle of the night. No, we didn't, Mom. And, uh, and we would go up to the hotel pool at the front of our neighborhood. The only bad thing about it, it was like one of those hotels that was named after somebody that, you know, you're like, anyway. And uh, if you weren't from Louisiana, you wouldn't understand. And the pool was kind of, well, it, was, it needed help, let's put it that way. And what it had was, it wasn't a diving board, it was a two-by-six that they had bolted onto the side of the pool, all right? Not a lot of spring. That's all I can say is you jump, and that's what it does right there, all right? What this scripture is saying is, you should come to the springy diving board. And this diving board's got so much spring in it, it's going to throw you into the air. And what is, it, what is the springy diving board? It is suffering springs me high into the air of God's grace for me to where I can land into his hands. Matter of fact, that's why the Lord often allows us to suffer because suffer clears up the cataracts in my eyes to cause me to take my eyes off of myself and look to the author and the perfecter of my faith to where, Lord, there is something bigger going on than just the pain in my own heart. That's what he said, look to the glory that is ours. So I want you to groan. I want you to use your suffering as a springboard that when you hurt, you're like, Lord, I'm listening. I'm seeing you. You're here. And then I want you to, Romans chapter 5, I want you to rejoice. Why? It says here, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, the great exchange has happened. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace, participating in the divine, which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, meaning that when He returns, when I'm with Him, victorious, as if we have won the race, right? Therefore, 
we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Staying in God's love. That perseverance produces character. It changes me. And character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because why? God is doing what? He's got the fire hose out. He's opened it up, and he's blasting me through the wall because he's pouring out his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. My suffering helps me to clearly see that God's pouring his love out on me. Are y'all getting this? Groan. I'm looking, and now I'm rejoicing. Oh, yeah, you love me. Oh, yeah, you love me. You love me. Okay. Show you a video. I prayed that God would give me an illustration that, because I think this is so important. Because I'm telling you that you're going to suffer before this day is over if you love something or someone. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel the pain. Which, I mean, what we're talking about today is something I can use every day in my life. That I am free to feel, and I'm going to groan. And I'm free to let my groaning help me to see Jesus more clearly. And when I see him, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to let that be a pattern in my life. That's how I stay in the truth that I am forever loved by him. And let me tell you something about this love, okay? And just get to the video, you know? Just a second. This love right here. Do you know that, that the Father loves you right where you're at? Do you realize that the love that is beyond comprehension loves you just where you're at? Because it is, it is a lie to think that God loves me when. Because you know what? That when never comes. There's always I should. There are always shoulds in my life. And will be till the day I die. That love is perfect and is for me now. So I prayed for God. I prayed, God, show me an illustration. We, we showed this video about three years ago. So you've seen it before if you were here. Get over it. It's good. All right. You can watch it every three years, you know. And some of you are going to think that's really cheesy, tough, all right? Uh, but this is the story of a man who was, uh, hang on, let me find the details in my notes. He was born in 1962. And, uh, but something happened while he was in the womb. He experienced oxygen uh, deprivation. And as a result, when he was born, uh, he wasn't doing so good. He was actually, uh, they call it a spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy, meaning he was completely paralyzed. Can't talk, can't move, can't take care of himself. And actually, one of his arms is forever frozen uh, directly out from him. Well, the doctors said, uh, let me tell you about your kid. There's nothing we can do for him, and there's nothing you can do for him. Matter of fact, you ought to put him in an institution and let an institution take care of him. He ought to be hospitalized for the rest of his life. Well, this husband and this wife, they said, God, we groan in the pain of what has happened to our son. And we are looking to you, and we rejoice because now we see that you're pouring your love out in our hearts, and you've not abandoned us. And God said, don't give your boy up. So they didn't. They actually told them, believe in your son. And so they did. 
Well, he didn't get any better. That'd be a great story, wouldn't it? He didn't. But they kept loving him, and they tried to make him a normal part of their family, and they tried to help him feel as normal as possible. When he was about 15, he communicated to his dad through a computer that there, there was a kid on a lacrosse team that was a friend of the family's that had gotten hurt and got paralyzed, and they were having a 5K run for him. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, I want to run in that 5K. Which meant, Dad, I want you to push me in that 5K. All right? So the dad, who had never run a 5K in his entire life, never run a race in his life, because he loved his son, he said, for you I will. So they ran. That night, when dad is nursing his wounds, and he's sore and he can hardly move, his son says to him through a computer, for the first time in my life, I felt like I wasn't handicapped. What kind of father's love would look at his son and say, you will feel that way more? As of today, they've run a thousand races together. What you're about to experience is a video of this father running a triathlon with his son. That's 2.4 miles swimming. That's 112 miles biking and then running a full marathon in one day. Now, here's what I want you to see, and this is what I want you to experience. Guys, if we are captivated by the love of God, that we are trapped in a place where we are weak, but he is strong. <laughs> He's running the race. We are handicapped people who, have a, who has a father that loves us so much that he wants us to taste the glory of the finish line. And here's what I want you to experience, okay? As you think about when you, what we've talked about, groaning, looking over the shoulder to see who's with me, and rejoicing that we are the son. But here's what I want you to see. At the, at the end of this video, when they cross the finish line, watch the father's eyes. Who did all the running? Who did all the biking? Who did all the swimming? But where does the glory go? Wow, that video just uh, it kills me every time I see it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The young man in the wheelchair is named Rick. What do you think endurance means for him? Shouldn't it be, I can do all things as long as my dad pulls, pushes, or carries me? Isn't that what Rick should say? Isn't that what endurance is? Because what kind of love would do that? What kind of love would hurt so long, so hard, so fast, and then when it crosses the finish line, all he has eyes for is the glory of his son? What kind of love does that to where we as God's people can say, Lord, the only way I go is because you push me because you carry me, because you drag me. The only reason I crossed the finish line is because you brought me here. But boy, I am rejoicing. Man, the Lord wants you to be so alive. He does. And guys, we're alive in his love when we're free to hurt. 
and say to him, Lord, I've groaned to you. And the Lord says, I know. And then I'll use my groaning to bring me to see his great love. And then I rejoice. Hmm. Let's pause for a minute before we sing this last song. Um, what do you need to say to Jesus? What do you need from him? Lord, um, this is your church. And as a church, we've gone through a lot of change. And there's some hurting in this room and some hurting 12 South and Grieve Hall and This journey of love isn't easy. It's often something that requires more from me than I think I can give. It's hard for me to let you love me. It's hard for me to let the kind of love that you give to me flow out of me. It's hard, Father. My pride doesn't want to sit in that chair and let you push me across the finish line. Oh, but Lord, I pray for my friends. We groan to you. And we don't curse our groaning. We see it as a gift from you that helps us see how much you love us. And we rejoice.